Download the app, Bet Big, Win Bigger. And I got to tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. WinBet has what you need to win. So if you're from Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, sign up today to receive this special offer. New users can take advantage of WinBet's bet $50 to win $200. Just bet $50 and win $200 in free bets. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download the app, bet big, and win bigger. Let's get after it. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where win bet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. Welcome to the Greenlight Podcast. Michael Bennett is today's guest. Chris and Mike run through a whole host of topics. Mike recaps his time in Seattle, talks Super Bowl memories, and the splitting up of the Seahawk defense. He also gives his opinions on a couple quarterbacks, Baker, Jimmy G, and some of the young guys in particular. And then Chris and Mike have a great conversation about retirement, transitioning away from football, and mental health in sports. It's a great deep conversation. You'll enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy your day. So I got my good friend, much more than a football player. That's why I love him, Michael Bennett. And we talk a lot. Like we we FaceTime. You know, I'd say we we get a good thirty minute FaceTime maybe once a month, which is really good. It's good for this. It's good for the soul, dude. No, it's definitely great for the soul because it's like you don't know a lot of people who are have been through what you've been through as far as the NFL. But it's not like I know when I get on the phone with you, it's like it's comedic, it's therapeutic, it's everything. So it's a it's a it's a joyful moment when I get a FaceTime for you. Because you're like very precise. You're like, Michael, I got 30 minutes. I can't go back 30 minutes. I know you keep you on the phone for a fucking hour. So you will too, bro. Now I'm gonna keep you on the phone for a fucking hour because I have you. This is payback. No, but the thing is, like, we're wired different. We get we get kind of where we've been, how we're wired, and like I think being able to relate to each other's problems after football and just the things that annoy us. You know, it's nice yeah. to have it's really good. And I'm gonna ask you about retirement a little bit and all that, but like one thing you realize in retirement is that there's nothing wrong with the people you're around, but they just don't a hundred percent get you all the time. Mm-hmm. I agree with you hundred percent. Like, I think it's the way that you are. I think, too, like, you respect process so much. And, like, like even doing a podcast, like, you're doing it, you're going to do it just like you do it, did for the NFL. Like, you're preparing the same way. You're doing everything the same way because it's about process and having discipline in something. And sometimes when you have had process and discipline and people around you don't have the same discipline and process, like, it starts to annoy you a little bit. You're like, wait, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. So... But at the same time, it's when you talk to other people who have experienced the NFL or experienced something similar to you, it's just like this brotherhood and this camaraderie around just life, you know, like what is life actually like? 
outside of or under that helmet. So that's why I enjoy having conversations with you and people like Cliff or and so and uh and Rob Quinn, he always called me, he called me Bobby. Rob, what you doing? I know he's the richest person that addresses the weirdest. I'm like, why is your <laughs> why is your shirt wrinkled? I'm like, I'm sure you worked a hundred million dollars, Bob. Why 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 is your shirt wrinkled? Yeah, Marty, your brother told me I was homeless chic in New England, so I'm glad that somebody else holds the title. I guess it's it's Rob Quinn, who, by the way, had 19 last year, or whatever it was in Chicago. People thought he was dead. He had 19. Yeah, but I think with, then then it's like a big transition that he had. You know, being a four three defense man and switching to three four yeah. that takes a, a moment because it's such a different you know type of football. Used to just going dropping the coverage, but Rob is literally one of the best pass rushers I ever played with, honestly, just as far as like being, I think there's like different qualities of pass rushers that I played with, but I think he has the most bend out of any pass rusher that I ever played with. Like the ability to just twerk his body in a way, honest twerk and body, that sounds weird, <laughs> but he knows how to like bend his body in ways that, that seem unhuman. You know what I mean? His arms are super long and it's like, it's hard. It's just like, wow, he does that. It's pretty pretty impressive. So, and if you watch him walk, it makes sense because his toes point directly at each other, and so like he's genetically engineered to be able to run the corner. If he runs straight, he's running a hoop. Yeah, and he's fast too, bro. Like I seen him chase down a backside play when I was winning with the Cowboys, and I'm like, wow, Rob is super fast. Like he's a freak athlete. And sometimes I think about what were the Rams thinking when they had a defensive line like that and didn't win the Super Bowl? Like, you got Chris Long, Robert Quinn, Michael Barkers, Aaron Donald, Willie, William Hayes. Like, William Hayes was a monster. He was like, a monster, he was like, dude. He was most, the most under, underrated players in the NFL that I ever watched play and be like, wow, this guy. Jolon Dunbar, remember he was coming down, knocking people out. Like, you he guys was, had he was a dog. Play. Well, I'll tell you how, our offense, dude. That's, that's mm -hmm. the whole thing. We had some games where we were both scoring in the single digits. You guys always found a way to win somehow, whether it was 9-7, to 17-9, 13-10. Seven, I hate playing against you guys, though, because I was like, damn, they got 11 sacks right now. It's only sick. It's not in the third quarter. <laughs> well, part of that was Russ. It, so this is perfect because part of that was Russ. People are always like, well, how do you feel about Russell Wilson? I'm like, well, he made me a lot of money because Russ tries to create. And, you know, Russ is not afraid to get sacked. Russ is not afraid to extend the play. And I think, you know, like one of the things I wanted to ask you about was not only Russ in a new home, but Bobby Wagner in L.A., Russ in Denver, you know, you, you got Dan Quinn in Dallas, like KJ Wright in Vegas. These are all, you know, that historic group of defenders from your era in Seattle, the LOB era. And it's crazy when you retired to see your friends like disperse. disperse. Yeah, it's like, damn, that thing just doesn't exist anymore. How weird is yeah. that? It's super weird because everything has a shelf life. I never thought that I'd see Russell Wilson another jersey just just the fact that what he meant how he what he meant to the city you know just as far as like his charitable giving you know his accessibility to fans the jersey sales being the most winning quarterback in Seahawks history passing rushing just this this dominant force you know just outside of sports but just a dominant 
human being in that arena. So just him leaving, I don't know, I still have mixed emotions about it. Like seeing him play in Denver, like knowing how we beat the mess out of the breaks up of Denver in the Super Bowl when I had Peyton Manning a long time ago. You remember that? No, I remember my producer, Reed, who's a Broncos fan, remembers that. What's, what's one thing you remember about that Super Bowl? Like besides the score or maybe the bad snap to start the game where you're probably thinking... I mean, I, I was I was watching at home. I, I'll tell you where I was watching. Let me let me answer the question for you first, and break a podcast rule. I was sitting in a hotel room in South Beach, drunk, hating you guys, watching that game. And as soon as the fucking snap went over Peyton Manning's head to start the game, I was like, "Damn it, they're they're going to win the Super Bowl." The biggest moment I think of the Super Bowl was even not even the game. It was that we were training at the New York Giants facility, and we were in their defensive room, walking through their defensive room, and it was like. We saw what they had on the board, like what they thought success was. It was like average, give up 150 rushing yards or do this many passing yards or, you know, like told the team to under 21 points. And our head, we're like, that's what the fuck y'all thinking about right here? We're thinking about zero. We're thinking about 20 yards rushing. We're thinking about 50 yards passing. And I knew we were different because that was the inside of what other people in the league and what their standard was. And I knew our standard was completely different. And I knew when we played them, it'll be different because they hadn't seen anything or somebody who had that attitude that didn't want to give up anything. I think, but going back to what you said about Russell, it feels that like, it's, I feel that P is starting over. And it's like, do you keep the player or do you keep the coach? Who's the one that's calling the shots? And sometimes I feel that like the players go from back and forth and they leave and coaches leave but I feel like Russell Wilson was just like I don't know I just feel like I don't understand I don't see the how the Seahawks can win at a high level without the quarterback you know what I mean without having that type of quarterback that type of offense and then that type of presence on defense I think you think about Bobby Wagner he's equivalent to Russell Wilson when it comes to leading the defense and doing things right so not having Bobby Wagner just seems like it just seems so different to watch the Seahawks. It's like watching, you know, somebody impersonators do temptation songs and dances or watching a Michael Jackson impersonator. We know that Michael Jackson is definitely probably the most talented musician to walk the planet. We talk about impact and people copy him and his influence on the game, his ability. Michael Jackson has been dead for like how many years? Like I think it's been, this man's been 13 this years. Man made, this man made $300 million last year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's dead. He's... Yeah. <laughs> he's dead he's one of the highest grossing people like it's just, that's insulting to the rest of us like there's a dead person walking around making way more money than us <laughs> he doesn't even have life you know what I mean it's like I was like Michael Jackson and Elvis made how much money last year like that's crazy dude crazy. that's yeah. crazy yeah yeah but Bobby I feel like that Bobby losing Bobby was definitely a hit I know but it's like linebackers you know the linebackers have like a short, they have a time frame similar to running back sometimes where it's like they can lose the step pretty fast. Or, but I feel like Bobby pretty much kept longevity, even though his cap number was super high. I still think the impact that Bobby brings to the defense and the leadership that he brings to the defense is definitely something that I probably would have kept around when you talk about bringing in a young team and not having any true leadership on defense. Let's talk about Jamal Adams, and he didn't play very much, and there's some, there's definitely some. You know, some some critiques out there as far as coverage and being able to make big plays when the plays are being needed. So I feel like Bobby was a big playmaker and also a great leader. And I think just given that 
when you let when a defensive back is the leader of the team, it kind of to me it kind of changes the philosophy of the team. I think when you you definitely it's nice to have DBs to be leaders, but it's also great when you have your front being the leaders of the defense because they're the ones who are in the trenches and they're the ones who are making who are driving the league and driving the game. It's interesting because I think about Pete Carroll. He's never. I mean, this is the first rebuild he's had to preside over in a long time, and. That takes a different skill than keeping something rolling, right? Like to rebuild, to start from the ground up. Because like you said, when you when you part ways with your two quarterbacks, Bobby Wagner and the quarterback, you've got to kind of figure out who you are again. And I wonder if that's tough. You, can you see Pete Carroll in that role? Do you think he's a guy who can who can rebuild something? I mean, because that's that takes a different... He's older, you know? Part of that is you, you get rid of some of your leaders... I don't know if that's the worst thing either if you're starting to rebuild because you got to start over, right? And if you got guys who have been there for 10 years and like, this is the way we do things, this is the way I want to do things, then you're not going to be button heads with Bobby or Russ. You can just start over the way you want to start that's true over. Too. I think I think that's a, every dictator wants anybody who's challenging the, the dictatorship to be shot and, put, and brought into the middle of the street. And reminded of this is what happened. Or sent to the L.A. Rams. <laughs> <laughs> but the L.A. Rams is actually a great team. For no, Brian I know. Rams. I'm like he ended up. He ended up on top. But I also think that to to have a critique on the Seahawks is that they haven't had a good draft. You know, it's been a while since they have drafted some a player and, and had them come in and make a great impact. So it's like there's been a lot of misses as far as with management, as far as um, drafts and, and trades. And to really come out, you think about the trade for Jamal Adams, there was a lot of picks. And what do you get out of the year? You got nine sacks, but also, too, your defense isn't as good as it once was. You know, I feel like not investing in the front and the offensive line and the defense line is where I feel that the Seattle has, has failed over a couple of the last couple of years. So I think this is about also how do you draft and what do you draft and who's going to be impact. I think you have D, DK Metcalf, you have um, Tyler Lockett, you know, and then outside of that, you kind of like, okay, those what where, where the other other people that you have Rashad Penny come in he's missed two and a half years but the last last year the last four games he rushed for seven hundred something yards so he's a great player but at the same time what are you going to do about drafting those people to be those stalwarts you know those mm-hmm. people who are, are forever the lead you know your Aaron Donalds your, your Joe Barrows those people that that changed your your program we can't say that we saw that with Seattle yet you know so nothing against Drew Lockett but Man, me and Drew Lockett about the same when it comes to quarterback and wins right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I, Drew Lockett. I, I wonder. I wondered when when they let Bobby go, the way it went down. I never asked you. Like, were you surprised by that? Well, I'm not surprised because I think every player comes into a point where where their tenureship with the team is over. You know what I'm saying? So it happened to. Tom Brady. So it's like if Tom, if 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 a May man can get touched, we all can get touched. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, everybody has their, their their shelf life and ends up. So I'm not surprised that they got rid of Bobby. They were, um, but the way they did it because they didn't. You know, there was some discrepancy on the communication. Like you know what I mean? That's, that, that's the player's fault. That's the player's fault because at the end of the day, if you're a player and you're thinking that the can I cuss? 
Yeah. You think it at the, Fuck yeah, the you fucking organ- you think it the fucking organization is going to be looking out for your best interest, then you naive and you living in a utopia. At the end of the day, that organization doesn't owe you anything. They're not going to call you and say, "Hey, you're so special that we wanted to say thank you." No, they cut you just like they cut anybody else. This is the most cutthroat business on the planet. You know where they're getting rid of people. They're doing things besides Apple and Amazon. We're like third. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> <laughs> We're third and cutthroat, you know. So, like, you know, all this always a lawsuit against the NFL. There's always a lawsuit against teams. You you've seen it. You've seen where guys have been injured and teams have, you know, you tell young guys if you injure, stay injured. You know, they go out there. Oh no, our team wants you to play. And the trainer gets you to go out there and run. And as soon as they catch you on tape and run, they cut you. So it's like you you know how dirty the NFL could be when it comes to how they get rid of people and having the cat pits, you know? Do you think the Baker Mayfield thing is an example of Baker Mayfield, you know, him playing hurt and that sort of thing? Uh, is that a good lesson? I've been talking about this a lot on my podcast, like don't play hurt and expect them to, to pat you on the back for playing hurt. They're not going to take that into don't account. Don't play hurt and play terrible. Yeah. That's what you don't do. Yeah. You play hurt and you're Michael Jordan, that's different. You play hurt and you win the game, Byron Leftwood, and you throw 10 touchdowns, that's different. Yeah. You go out there and play hurt and you look trash, that's on you. Yeah. I think the thing with Baker Mayfield is that Baker Mayfield didn't win. He did not win. They yeah. put everything around him to win. And unfortunately, Deshaun Watson is just a better quarterback when it comes to win and talent and putting up numbers. Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback, but average at best when it comes to athleticism, average at best when it comes to arm strength. He's a good, good winner. He went to a great, he's been on great teams and great organizations. If you think about even college at Texas Tech, he wasn't that player. But at Oklahoma, when he was surrounded by all great players and they were overpowering team, he was easy for him to win. But in NFL, all teams are not made equal. I'm not saying Baker deserved to be the quarterback of the future for the Browns. I think everybody realized that he was always going to leave something to be desired, right? And that's the hard thing about the quarterback position. You need that guy to be elite more than likely to win a Super Bowl. So you're always going to want more out of a guy who's a 7 out of 10. Being a 7 out of 10 as a quarterback is nothing to be ashamed of. There's only fucking 20 of those guys who are any good in any given year. But what I'm saying is his court of public opinion, his approval rating, even from people that knew he wasn't the second coming of Christ, changed a lot. You know, his likability changed a lot. Like people around the league... I would say his approval rating, general public, is probably south of 30%, and it's because he played hurt, not because he wasn't great. I think it's more because he wasn't great, he took a risk, and he looked even worse. And people don't take that into account and say, oh, this guy, was he, he, was, he was limping around or his shoulder was falling off. He shouldn't have been out there. Yeah, that's his own fault, though. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, and that's the and that's the mistake we've all. I don't know if you've ever made that mistake. I've made, I that, definitely mistake made that mistake in, in my before. career. I yeah, definitely, I definitely made that mistake before being out there. And the whole thing is like you said, you your own business, you your own company, and the best thing is to protect yourself. And there's no mm-hmm. position more protected than the quarterback. So why would you put yourself at a high risk when 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 the team when the team is not seeing you at that value? First of all, they don't. They're not looking. They don't see you. They ain't give you a new deal. You know, you got Josh Allen getting a new deal. You got all these quarterbacks around you getting new deals. And so you think that you could prove something to them. But it's like once they don't have the belief in you, the NFL, when when they're in there making that, that – you're thinking about one season. They're already thinking about 2025. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like you're playing checkers and they play chess. So they've been looking for a quarterback that they thought they can lead them because they know they got talent. When you look at the Cleveland Browns, they've been – they've had some of the, the most talented team looking at, you know, offensive line, look at defensive line. They got pro bowlers everywhere, but they just don't win. And you look at a team like the Patriots, who's the opposite of that, 
they don't have all the pro all the pro bowlers, but they win. And you're wondering how do they win? So I feel like for them, they feel that Baker Mayfield can't get over the hump. But then you got somebody like Ryan Tannehill, who to me is similar skill level when it comes to quarterback position. I would say that Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield are probably equal when it comes to talent, I think. And but at the same time, Tannehill has found a way to win over the last couple of years. Yeah, I remember, and I remember way back when you were when Tannehill got paid, and you probably feel the same way. Like it's too much money. I mean, we were talking about this and all that, but like you're right, the difference is that he's found a way to win. And the way you kind of summed up Baker Mayfield a second ago with all those Pro Bowlers around him, kind of sounds like he's living in a white neighborhood, and he still hasn't gotten a chance to get it. He still hasn't gotten it done in the white neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, he's being gentrified now. Black people are moving in. He's got to be in the worst position ever. He's got in the whitest position, and a black person taking this position and getting the contract, getting the keys to the city. This is America has truly changed. Yes, yes. But but I think that's just the NFL. You look at that's the thing, you know, but I feel that the thing, the difference between Tannehill and, and Baker Mayfield is I feel like Tannehill has led really heavy on that run game and he doesn't take risks as much as I feel like Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield thinks he's somebody else when it comes to passing. He tries to thread the two people coming through. Mm-hmm. Tannehill doesn't do that. It's like if you ain't do the corner route and you ain't completely open, he's not throwing the ball to you. He doesn't take a lot of risks. And by doing that, he's been a great game controller. And truly, somebody who's less talented, is, is he's done more with his talent than a lot of quarterbacks who have more talent. Him and Jimmy Galapagos. Jimmy Galapagos, that's what Galapagos, I call Galapagos, yeah, Jimmy Galapagos. <laughs> Well, then, two, two, okay, I, I got no choice here. I'm going to ask you a really hard question, and then I'm going to ask you a question that's maybe not so hard. We, we, you just mentioned Jimmy G, and you mentioned Ryan Tannehill. Here's the really hard question. Marty and Jules said, you know, two of my buddies, one of them's your brother, said that Jimmy G was, in so many words, soft for sitting out of that game. I think it was the fourth game of our season in 2016 because his shoulder was fucked up. I guess Marty's issue might have been that he waited too long to say that he wasn't playing. How do you feel about that? Because I'm kind of... He's smart. Yeah. He was smart then because at the same time, he did what was best for him and look at how that's turned out. Yeah. He just went to win an NFC championship, a Pro Bowl. He's made a lot of money. I mean, he's still, they're still trying to move him. And then you look at the quarterback that they're trying to change him for. I got to say, when I watched that quarterback, the young one under him, I was not impressed. Oh, they're hiding so, him. They're, like when you haven't seen the... We haven't seen much of this guy, dude. So I'm just I'm I'm a little bit worried about that, but that's it. I wish Marty was here because we could have a really good conversation about that. And then because I tend to agree with you, like protect yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but from Martel's perspective, it's like then it goes down to the individuality of the sport, and then it comes down to like this team relationship that you have with guys. It's like the reason why you play hurt is because you felt that the guys around you needed you, so that made you do something more than that. So it feels like. Yeah, it's smart that he did that, but that could disconnect you from your team because when your teammates see you playing through injury, that builds a lot of camaraderie because that, that shared. Even that last season that we played together, man, your back was hurting, your hip was hurting. You saw me, my toe was looking like a goddamn. Yeah, that shit's ugly, you dude. You're not going yeah, to be a foot model, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we played, we played, we played. And that was because it was like that relationship that we had with the rest of our teammates to yeah. know that everybody out here is feeling something. Everybody's injured and you're going to go through the, the motions of making sure that to let you know that I'm not going to let my brother brother down. And when, even in the Bible, the Bible it says the true love is to know that you'll lay your, lay your life down for your brothers. And that's the truth about football. And that's when the truth, when people really feel like you're a part of the team. But for like Jimmy G, in a sense, maybe he was really the smart one. Like, you know what? I'm going to protect myself. You know, he's like Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving stays out the game all the time. 
Yeah, 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 he does. Yeah, he does. One, <laughs> one's got a little bit of a higher skill level than the other, but you're right. You make a really good point about Jimmy G. Like, say he goes into that game and he fucks his shoulder up worse and gets us to 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh or whatever it was. That year we won the Super Bowl and we had home field advantage running away by a game or two, I think it was. Uh, a game, at least. You know, and all those games matter, you know, because... You could be playing at home or you could be going on the road and it could be predicated on did Jacoby play game four that season. But at the same time, for the individual, look at what he's been able to do as you just outlined. He's made a fuck ton of money. He's been able to support his family. Well, he doesn't have one right now, but at some point he might knock one of these porn stars up. Did you see him out there taking porn stars out to dinner at, in, in San Francisco? So he, he on his Tiger Woods right now. <laughs> Okay, but he's protecting. He's protecting who? It, who? He's supporting whoever he has to support by by earning that money. And he on his new team, he seems to be really loved. So I think it. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's it, there's a lot of nuance here. Yeah, because Jimmy G is at ease. But then it's also too like so. For example, it also depends what team you're on. We know if you play for the Patriots and you play hurt, most likely they're just gonna move on. You're not gonna yeah. get all the money that you want. It's not like a situation like you playing for the Washington Commanders yeah. Or, yeah. or somebody like that or the Miami Dolphins, where you know like they pay you regardless. So it's like that's not that situation, yeah. you know. And it's not the NBA situation where you cannot play in games and still get the the money you pay because of your potential. The the Patriots are going on for are you available and are you available for cheap. They're, they're truly the American corporation, you know, uh, mentality. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> it does. Look at the amount of uh, output that they've got. You know what I mean? Look yeah. at the output that they're getting from their workers, the belief system, to build a culture where people put put themselves second and put the, the idea first. The ideology that they build in their culture is something that's super special. And it's a lot harder when you're an older guy because you're coming in from a new, you're coming from different a place. And so you're not used to all these history or these rituals that they're doing. So it's just different. But if you start there, that's a good place to start because you learned the ability of, you know, how to play with a team. I think what's really hard as you get older in the league, you become more of who you are. Like you become, yeah. you, you become set in stone. Like you're in, you, your individuality kind of grows. And the longer you become an individual and you figure out who you are, you end up somewhere like New England where you have to kind of adhere to a lot of those customs. You have to give up some of your individuality, and I think that's the hardest part. Not working hard, not a physical camp. I don't give a fuck about any of that. I've been through it, dude. You yeah, know, I, 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 we came in the league before the CBA changed. So, yeah, it's just like all of a sudden you were a nine technique, and they want you to play a head up four, and you can't get off the block. Yeah. And you like, God damn, like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just all about what team. For me, like, Philly was a great organization for me because – it fits right to my skill set. It's like that's a situation you got to coach. And Coach Peterson is a really easy to, you know, he works with veterans really well. You know, it's a veteran team. So it's like somebody like me and you that comes in with injuries, that comes in with things happening, just working with our body, he's going to work with you, you know, like. Shit, yeah, he didn't work with you know? me. I love Doug, but I didn't get a day off. Oh, that's your own fault. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, dude. I didn't get a day off either. I didn't get a day off either. You took a couple of days off, motherfucker. There were some <laughs> days where you walked in and I was so mad at you because you'd be like, you'd be walking through the hall limping. And I'm like, get rid of that limp, dude. God damn. How many reps am I taking today? Because <laughs> if you were out, <laughs> it was my ass. And we, we used to be like, how's Mike feeling today? <laughs> We need Mike out there, dude. I'm not ready to take 12 <laughs> plays inside run. Because you got because after all that, then you're gonna ask me for a ride home. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm not. But you, you, you used to give me a ride home. Those are the best conversations, though. I got to say, I love Seattle, but my 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 year in Philly, that was the most fun I ever had, just in general, <laughs> just with a group of guys. Like, bro, we had such a good time. Yeah. So, be like eating right in the room like jokes bro you take me home. i still remember that video where you had me uh trying to get in the car so so some people know some people so mike used to park there's a couple things mike used to do and i've talked about this on this podcast plenty of times because it's one of my favorite things mike gets to two guys that we we wish we played each other with each other a lot longer because we always we always liked each other's game and like you know dapped up after those rivalry games out in out west finally end up on the same team come to find out that means i'm gonna have to give this motherfucker a ride home every day because he's too cheap to buy a car he stays at this beautiful luxury hotel you know the entire season but he doesn't have enough money to scrounge for uh to splurge on a fucking rental car even he would always come to work expecting that somebody was going to give him a ride home and i was always the last guy there and we both lived in the city <laughs> so he'd just be walking in the film room like hey man you leaving soon and i'd be like i'm i'm here another hour and a half he's like i'll just hang out instead of fucking getting an uber home he would wait 90 minutes to ride in the car with me and when i tell you dude didn't we run out of gas we we got lost and ran out of gas in the I city think, I, think we, I think we was on the wrong side of philly too <laughs> we were definitely on the wrong side <laughs> oh, but we had each other we had each other yeah we had yeah, each other and, and then the other thing was, our phone died yeah phone our phones were dead we had no gas we were lost it was 1987 dude i'm looking at fucking i'm i got road maps and shit talking to strangers hitchhiking we're like, are we supposed to be on this side of Philly right now? No, like, no. But then the funniest shit was every time Mike would get a wild hair and actually drive into work, he'd park like a complete asshole. And our our spots were right next to each other because you know in the NFL, if you're a vet, you get like you get the closest spot to the building. So me and Mike, you know, same year, the whole thing. So we kind of we'd have the you know spot three and four because Sproles and JP they're like forty five so they they they're like the oldest right but we're, but we're like we're the second tier of old guys but Mike would always straddle that fucking line with his little his little Chrysler three hundred C that he rented and uh, so what I would do is I'm not gonna not park in my spot I parked Mike's uh, driver's side in so tight dude you couldn't fit a fucking you couldn't fit a piece of paper between the way I parked next to you. So we, we just camped out after work with a video camera. <laughs> we recorded Mike trying to climb into his car through the passenger side. That was some of the funniest shit ever, dude. We had some good times. Let me be fair. The reason why I didn't have a car, I did have a car, I was a rental car, but my wife was using it and I was living in the city. So Uber was like $5. So I just Uber to work. It was cheaper. But then you live right next door to me. Like I was. I don't know like, about right next door, dude. For people was, in I Philly. Me, I was like, nah, for people in Philly, you were where? Ren, I'm, I was in Renhouse Square. Okay. And I was in, I was, no, you, you were on the outskirts. You were on like the other side of the square, which is a long way away from where I was Walnut Street. So, yeah. So anyways, uh, you can't say that, that, uh, that I never did anything nice for you in Philly, Mike. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to see what all the hype was about. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, 
your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash greenlight. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash greenlight to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I just want to finish with this on football, on like the hardcore football, because all these times we talk, we never actually talk about football. This is really interesting. Okay, I'm going to name some quarterbacks under 26. We know Michael Bennett hates quarterbacks. He doesn't like them when they get paid. He sacked a just lot Sam, of them. Just Sam Bradford. Just, just on the- fuck you. That's my buddy. So he's fuck you on my podcast. I'll just say this. Fuck you. I disagree. But 26 and under, 26 and under, you've got to sign a 10 year deal with one of these quarterbacks. The money's going to be good. They're going to be there, right? Justin Herbert. My answer too, dude. I didn't even have to name him. We got Lamar, (laughs) Herbert, Kyler, Burrow, Hurts, Mac Jones, Trevor. Yeah, it's Justin Herbert, dude. What's the the dude's, he's just natural. It's just like, the skill level is just ridiculous. The throws that he makes is just, this guy's athletic. He's tall. He's strong. I mean, he's the makeup of you want of a quarterback, you know, like, I mean, the, the defensive, I feel like the San Diego Chargers could be a little bit stronger, but that, that offense that with him out there, I mean, that guy is just, that guy's, I mean, that guy's, he's, he's the next, he's the next, he's the next great. <laughs> he is. He's already, it's just the team has to clean it up around him a little bit. Like I think that coach is finding his way a little bit. And I think the offense needs to change a little bit next year, but I'm looking at this guy play and I've never had so much fun watching a quarterback play as I've, I've enjoyed watching Justin Herbert. Like it's theater, dude, the, the balls that come off his hand are just different. You know, like there's some guys where you, and the crazy thing is I watched the combine and he was missing a lot in those drills, but then everything is on a frozen rope right on time in the right place in the NFL. He makes all the throws outside the numbers, you know, the the big throws, the the tight throws, the throws that you like, nobody can make that. I mean, Josh Allen, I feel like Josh Allen too is an amazing quarterback. He definitely one of the best quarterbacks, right? Because it's like, but then there's moments where he just makes mistakes and you're just like, why though? It's like, Josh, why? Like, but talent-wise, it's just moments where you're just like, come on, Josh, just don't keep it, you know? He doesn't have that Tom Brady. I mean, the, the Tom Brady to know when when to when, when there's defeat, you know, when there's time to pull away and when there's time to, you know, to just walk and throw the ball or, or, or not take a sack or down it or whatever. Yeah. But I think, yeah. But I would say, but Lamar Jackson too. I think Lamar Jackson, when I look at Justin Herbert, his ability to throw, I always think about Lamar Jackson, his ability to run the ball. It is just fascinating. I don't think we've ever seen, I mean, there's been Michael Vick and all these people, but I would say that even Cam Newton, he was great at running, but he was like a powerful runner. Mm-hmm. Michael Vick had nukes. Man, Lamar Jackson is like just, he's like a flash. It's like he's gone back, back, back. I'm not too high on Kyler Murray just yet because. The big games, I haven't seen him do it in the big games. The, the, the games where he's supposed to throw for 500, he definitely throws for 500. But like the games when it's like the true tight games against the great teams, I, I just haven't seen it yet. It's interesting because when all these quarterbacks that we grew up playing against and, and more so watching, like the guys that all retired in a cluster, you know, that Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, Tom Brady, all those dudes, Drew Brees, they're all gone now. And you wondered, like, will the league be in good hands? There's almost more exciting quarterback play now. I'm not saying it's better, but I'd rather watch Josh Allen play 10 out of 10 times over Drew Brees. There's nothing against Drew Brees. 
I just love watching that big athletic sucker take chances. And the same thing with yeah. Herbert. So it's 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 a lot of fun to watch quarterbacks now. I think it's, it's even, almost like Josh Allen is Cam Newton just with like a better arm. You know, like he has a yeah. better arm. Right? He has a better throw. Like, but running wise, it's kind of the same type of running that powerful can't get him down. He's super strong, you know. So it's but you know, I, I enjoy watching him play. I mean, I never really enjoyed watching Eli Manning play. It's just like he was not an enjoyable <laughs> player to watch. You know? I enjoyed it's rushing like, him. By yeah. the by the way, we both finished with like the same amount of sacks and everything. I think we're like a half off. I want to officially give you half of one of my sacks and let's tie at 69.5 because I think you had half of that sack in 2018 against Eli Manning, bro. And 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 I appreciate you not I don't know if you turned it in or not, but this was Of course a, I did. This, I, no, you did. Did you? Or no? No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. you're a good friend. You're a good friend. But you were thinking about it. No, I thought about it, but then I also thought that like we're gonna play him again. But also too, I felt that season like you, you, you helped me out a lot. You made me a better rusher for sure. Shit, you so don't have I, to say that. Look at us, just look at us. Just. <laughs> yeah, you made me a better rusher that year because it was like I had to learn a new skill thing, and it was like sometimes you get to this old trick of how to rush or do things. Yeah. You kind of stay there, but it was like this moment of like, okay, there's a challenge to elevate my game, and then it was like, okay, that was, it felt good to get there and do that. You and me, because, you and me, off into the sunset, tied up, dude, tied up, mm-hmm. off into the sunset. I bet you, I bet you, Fletch misses us. Fletch, I bet Fletch misses us. He misses that inside pressure. He definitely pressure. misses he, us, bro. We gave Fletch, Fletch, man, Fletch, you know, <laughs> Fletch, you know, Fletch, no, Fletch, you know, Fletch, you know. We basically are responsible for all Fletch's success. Exactly. He's not here to defend himself, but. It's just, <laughs> That year for sure. No, no, dude. There's nothing like having that big fucker running up in the B gap in a straight line, rushing right inside, dude. You just no, like Fletch oh, Fletch is definitely a monster. I think Fletch, yeah. Fletch is definitely a monster. He's one of the best. We're joking, Fletch. I know you take. Yeah, we're drinks. joking. I, yeah, we don't want you. Yeah. So well, they're still our wives. Yes. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> We haven't talked since. Speaking of, I'm just, joking, Flint. Yeah, I'm he's joking. joking. Don't come to his house. Urban Meyer. We haven't. We. I was just thinking of shit we didn't oh talk about, bro. What do you think about when you see a coach do all that? Like even the most selfish things we've seen from NFL head coaches. I've never seen anything like that. You know, I don't even watch football that much, and then the stuff I was just hearing about Urban Meyer was just like, wow, wow. It's just, it's just an interesting thing because it's like in college you can get away with a lot of stuff as a coach because you in college you kind of like. You could cover up everything. You got you got the power, especially at a place like Ohio State or even or Gainesville. Like you got the power to really hide whatever is happening. You, you are the man, you know. But then you go down to Jacksonville in the NFL. Everybody's watching. Everybody's questioning. Also, players have the ability to question you. Before in college, it's like we don't question you. We don't question what the coach says. We know he got he's the gatekeeper to us get to the NFL. But when you're in the NFL, it's like nah, man, that shit ain't right. What you did so. The, the ability for him not used to having people with voices, I think that's what kind of probably was a shocker for him. Players talking back to him, the coaches talking back to him, the fans hating him, being in a position where he even the quarterback was like questioning him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know about that. You know, so it's like he tried to build an organization built on the college mentality and built on fear, which in the NFL that does not work unless you build Belichick. But Bill Belichick doesn't really build it on fear. He just builds it on expectation, which is a whole different thing. Yeah, he builds it on consistent expectation. And that takes, if you set a bar that's consistent and you're just matter of fact about it, 
And certainly different players get a little bit different leeway, but for that individual player, the expectations are clear. You must meet them. It takes all that awkward, like, how do I treat my players? Like, am I too authoritative? Can I be the cool guy here? What's my personality as a coach? If you just focus on the results and the expectation, then you can be yourself, but you just enforce that expectation. I think that's what Bill does a really good job of. And you know, the funniest motherfucker you ever met, though. He's his jokes in the goddamn meetings. We talk about himself, we talk about everybody. But one thing I'll never forget that Bill Belichick did. He got in that meeting, in that spring meeting, and said, uh, he started listening. We've won 22 AFC championships. And he started going off. So I don't care about your fucking opinions. I was like, damn, Bill. Like, <laughs> you know, he goes to that meeting and tells him about all the wins, quarterbacks, MVPs, and all this shit. It's like, this shit fucking works. And it's like, when he does that, that sets the tone. But when you can't do that, that doesn't set the tone. When you're a coach that comes in first year and you're trying to say, I'm going to change the Jacksonville Jaguars because I have proof. You don't have proof. Bill Belichick has proof, and when he drops that, when he drops his nuts and to shows you everything, it just kind of you kind of be like, all right, I gotta fall in line because whatever he's doing, it fucking works. But you're right, though. It's such an arrogance, and it's a general. You know, I don't think coaches generally like. I don't want to throw stones at all coaches, but some coaches, because of where they came from, a la Urban Meyer in college, and all the things you just outlined, like they just have this arrogance, like I can't be touched and I'm beyond reproach. And I think that's what happened in Jacksonville. And you made a really good point. Like he's never checked in college, and the players he's doing some Antonio Brown shit. Like he's doing some Antonio Brown shit. Yeah. Actually, did you like Antonio Brown um, rap album? Because I know you listened to it. No, I didn't. I didn't actually. Like, when he put that single out, I thought the whole thing was ridiculous, but I was like, man, this is all right. I guess, like, if you have the right production and, and that so- sort of thing, like... <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound bad. It, it was it was way better quality than I, I thought it was going to be. Production. It like, it's production value, dude. Yeah, production was, I mean, the, the lyrics lacked, mm. you know, value, but, you know, the overall production was nice, but Urban Meyer was definitely doing some Antonio Brown shit, like, you know, f- flying to, you know, the, the team leaves and he goes somewhere else. You know, I don't know if Antonio Brown was slapping girls on the butts, but I'm sure that Urban Meyer was got caught in that he caught in that film sitting with a girl in his lap. Like, what was what was he thinking? Like, bro, you that's exactly, but that's exactly that thing you talked about. That hubris is reflective in that scenario right there. First, to do all that and be so tone deaf as to realize that everybody's in a bad mood because the fucking because y- your team's bad. And you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And then two, to do that in a public place, like forget if we're talking, like, is it morally right to be doing that in the right, in, in, in the first place, take that out of the equation, but actually sitting in an, a well-lit bar, you're Urban Meyer, you're in Ohio and you're putting your finger on a girl's butthole through her jeans and she's sitting on your lap. You don't think anybody's going to take a picture of you? You really think because your your name's on the bar, like you're totally protected? And I think that that kind of hubris comes through in in every corner of that story, really. Yeah, it does. If you're here in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, and you haven't tried the WinBet app yet. I have great news for you. WinBet is now offering $200 in free bets for new users. That's right, $200, 200 big ones on a $50 bet. WinBet is basically giving you free money. Don't turn that down. Don't pass that up. Download the WinBet app today. 
Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. All right, so, so, so we've, we've retired. We're a couple years into it, man. First off, do you have any aspirations like Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell to like fight somebody for a lot of money? I would only fight with my intellect. Um, <laughs> Professor, Professor X. Yeah. Never physically. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Strange, you know what I mean? I'm not about to, I don't know. All these ex-athletes fighting, I don't know the reason why you want to get in there. Already get punched in your brain like for what? I think there is – I'm not saying that this is their issue or – but I think with a lot of athletes, and this is just my opinion, so just an opinion. Nobody get their feelings hurt. I'm just talking. I know cancel culture is real. It's not canceled. real, though. Cancel culture is not real, dude. People getting canceled every day. I don't care what you say. Well, do you define, can, define cancellation. Losing your TV show or losing your job, losing your, your voice to talk publicly. How many people have, have lost their voice and their job that you can name know. in the public sphere? Uh, Aaron Rodgers said he was getting canceled. They were putting him in a cancel coffin. He just played in the match in Vegas at the win for like a uh, you know a million dollars with four other quarterbacks. I thought he was canceled. Aaron Rodgers never got canceled. He never did anything racial. I think they raced to get canceled when you do something racial. Kramer got canceled. If you say yeah. Kramer from Seinfeld got canceled, if you say that word, you should get canceled. Yeah. Anybody, if you do something racial or something with gender, you get canceled. I don't think you do anything like such as something that misinformation about the vaccine, because I think everybody has misinformation about vaccines or with COVID. Everybody has their own thoughts on it. So I don't think you can get canceled for that. But I think you definitely get canceled on things such as women's rights. I disagree with you, General. I think some people can get some people can make less money because of what they say. But I don't I, I don't think cancel. I think cancel culture is exaggerated. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. I agree with you on that, but I was going to say that I think a lot of times players love the idea of people giving them admirations, you know, and it's like this cup that people are filling up for you. They're yelling for you, they're screaming for you to do something physically. I think the best thing about the best thing about retirement is not to fall in love with the admiration of others and the affirmation that people give you. Oh, you're great. You're this, you're that. You fall in love with that. And that's something that can't be sustained. It's like it has a shelf life. It's like you need to be in love with your family. You need to be in love with yourself so you don't have to do things like to things that are attention grabbers just to be doing them. You know, and I think a lot of athletes may be it's like the fact that a lot of athletes are doing these things and getting, you know, drunk in love with with how people feel about them and saying, oh, you're such a great athlete. But it's like at some point it's time to move on. I think what happens to a lot of athletes, in my opinion, is that it's hard for us to have humility and start over. You know, it's like when you get it, every, everybody that uses an athlete, they think that they could just leave something and start at the beginning and be the best at it, right? And I think that's not the truth. I think there's a process that we have to start over, that we almost have to be like babies and go through the whole process and and, and learn and be fed and to be and to learn a new skill. And I think that's what makes something really powerful. Like even when you start your podcast, you got to go through all these different things, go learn how to speak, right? When Because you said something about podcast rules. I didn't even know those fucking podcast rules. So you just said it. You know what I mean? But like going through the <laughs> etiquette of learning, you know, and I think that's what we have to do is the ability to be able to start over and have humility to know that 
I'm not good at something and I want to do it, but I need to take that same time that 20 years that it took me to get to the NFL. It may take another 10 years for me to learn another skill, but don't be scared of that process, you know, and that process, that skill that you may not learn, it may not come with fans at the beginning. You might not leave that arena that you were once in and go to another arena and there's more fans waiting for you on your limousine ride when you pull up, you know, but that's not true. You might have to build a new audience. So I think going into that and loving that process will only make your retirement better. I just think like for guys that stop, a lot of us fight like this imaginary opponent. So it makes sense that, you know, guys might, some guys might just like boxing, but I do think whatever you're doing after football, in some capacity, you're still fighting that battle. Even if you move on on your own terms, like there's still part of you that intrinsically, you only know how to fight. You only know how to, to confront, you know how to, you know, because for your entire life, you've had every day this force pushing against you, the expectation of performance, appealing to your masculinity, peer pressure, fan pressure. You could be the most motivated person in the world and stop, not know how to harness that and turn it into something else. Like, I don't know, you're still in that mode. Like, I realized in retirement that I'm confrontational because that served me well in my last job, right? We had to be confrontational. Everything was confrontation. And so now you enter this phase of your life and that's not a valuable currency anymore. And it's a bad, it's not a good currency. And I was watching the pivot with uh, Fred Taylor, who I think does an awesome job. Fred was talking to Mike Tyson, which has got to be nerve wracking. (laughs) You don't want to offend Mike Tyson on set. Can we do this interview over zoom, Mike, (laughs) just in case you get mad at me, but Mike Tyson, who always gives great answers. I feel like. It's a wise dude. He was talking about killing your ego. Oh, definitely. After football. And I think that's that was the most profound thing I'd heard said on that show. And there's been some really good conversations. Because the way Mike framed it is your ego is something that served you well. In fact, it was a necessity to have an ego for your entire life. So naturally every day your entire professional life collegiate life high school life in this sport it is reinforced that confrontation and ego are at least prerequisites and now in this world none of that is currency so you have to scrap it and figure out ways to kind of relearn like what what do you run on and that is not how you should run in retirement no i agree with you 100 because like you said it's like killing your ego and then killing oneself to be born, reborn in a new way, like a new identity, this new person, this new fresh, uh, just because leaving something like that is, is like death. It is like death to have something, this character that's being built. It's like Game of Thrones when it killed the greatest character. And it's like, but the story continues, you know, because you have to be reborn into something else, a new person, not in the sense of only oh, changing the way that you are, but dying of dying of that ego, dying of that, dying of that love, dying of that admiration of that that person that you used to be, it's just to grow into something else. And I think it's, that's not even a fleshly thing. I think it's just a spiritual thing. You tap into your spiritual side and kind of looking and living in a different, different, on a different frequency. I think. That's very hard because you are right about ego, everything you do. You know, I think sometimes even as a black male, I think about my experience in up, and sometimes I think about how violence was the only really cultivate masculinity was violence. 
feel like sometimes in the, this culture that we grew up in, especially American culture, especially the black black culture as an athlete, like the way that our ability to to do these things, that we got a lot of things out of that way because we that was how we was proven to be. And I think just this idea of being able to grow to be in spaces that are uncomfortable. And I think growth sometimes is uncomfortable, right? Because it's requiring us to, to, you know, a snake sheds its skin. When you're a child, your tooth grows out your mouth, your bones are constantly growing. There's something about growing that it requires you to, to experience some type of pain. There's something about growing that is that requires a certain amount of sacrifice. That's the thing that I think that's really hard with athletes is that that sacrifice that we once made, we should stay on that that train and we should stay on that ride because the fear of going into that place, the fear of of saying, Oh, I had I everything about me is wrapped up in this character, but it's the fear of not going there that keeps us bottled up. I think it's about breaking down those barriers and really trying to experience our own selves and our own human our own humanity, traveling, figuring out who we are. Because as an athlete, your life is very tunnel vision because everything is made up for you, your schedule, where you're supposed to eat, who you're playing, what uniform you're wearing, what socks you're wearing, how you're supposed to speak, what to say in the interview. Like everything is already made for you. There's no time for any creativity in between those things. But the idea of being quiet and being still and have a reflection to know that thing I need to figure out how can I be me? You know what I mean? What is me? Who am I? What do I love? What kind of things do I like to eat? Who, what books do I read? When's the last time I picked up a book? When's the last time I just went, you know, and just, so I think there's a lot of discovery that's in between retirement uh, and, and the growth of ourselves. I don't think when I played, I ever sat still, even in the off season, because I was working on borrowed time. I either need to work my ass off to make sure that I was satisfying that devil on my shoulder that was like, you're not doing enough. You, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna be bad this fall. You know, you're gonna lose it. You're gonna fall off, like, or you're hurt. Like, you're never gonna get back up on top. You know, you're always listening to that voice, so you never take a second to yourself, even when you're having fun. And what I realized I was doing a lot was I was either working my ass off, or I was just releasing by going out and getting fucked up, or, or doing something, you know, like that I was going a hundred miles an hour doing because I didn't know how to sit still. One of the things I learned in retirement was. You know, the Kendrick album dropped and that song United in Grief was really, uh, it was like a song that I love on that album. So I've listened to it a bunch of times and I had this epiphany. I kind of already knew it, but it confirmed something for me that like that is the way. Now, I didn't go talk to a psychiatrist about this, but I do talk to somebody. Maybe that's the topic for the next sit down, but I medicate with hard work. I medicate with, you know, whenever I, over my lifetime, if I've been in a bind, I tried to work my way out of it because that was football. It was like, when you're in a bind, when your team's bad, when you're in a slump, when you're hurt, work harder, spend more time at the facility, do more. And then when I retired, because I'm in this unstable kind of situation where contextually I've never been in this situation before where I have choice, right? And it scares me. And you know, I'm maybe not feeling great so what do I do? I work too hard. I tried to work too hard in building this. There was a lot of necessity in building this show and continuing to pull the foundation out of the pandemic. Like there's a lot of opportunity to work hard, but I overdid it. And at times at the, at the risk of my mental health, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's, that's crazy because even in COVID, I think that was something that was proven to all of us. I think that we're all often on the, on the wave of life. And it's like, when you're on the wave, you can't see the water because it's constantly moving. And you see the whitewash, you see a lot of different things. 
But it's like when that water's super still, there's a reflection in it. And I think sometimes we have a reflection. We we when when we can cover up a thing, you can put makeup on it, you can cover up everything about that, but still that reflection of who you truly are is right there. And it takes a lot to deal with who what's there. I think there's a lot of record that stillness and that calmness in your brain to recognize that like I'm overworking, I'm doing this, I'm compensating with something, I'm trying to do this. I think that's the moments that we all have to have. And I think it's something about us really re- having that reflection with ourselves and a time with ourselves to really figure out what we need to do. I think as an athlete, for sure, I agree with you that hard work is always the way. Even sometimes it's even hard to work out right now, right? You go to the gym and you're like, why the hell am I putting 400 pounds? Like, what, what, the, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. My wife is like, why are you doing that? You know, but it's like, that that's what you've been taught to cope with. You've been caught, told to cope, cope with hard work. But I also think that that can pull you far away from your family because you realize that you went through all of that stuff to, to be, be with them, to be a better father or to be a better husband, <laughs> yeah, to dude. be all these better things, you know? And it's like to recognize that it is the journey, I think. But, you know, I think that's what it all is. It's just a reflection on how we deal with that reflection. I think it takes a lot to do reflections and stillness because the calmness, you have to be with one. And sometimes being with one is trippy, right? Because you start to think about the, the flaws, the hypocritical things that you've done, you know, and then you go into a place where you're like, how do I get out of this? You know what I'm saying? And this like, well, there needs to be sometimes where I'm just, I need to take my wife or I need to take my kids. I need to just be, be, to be, you know, like be at the beach and just sit, you know, like, and just be calm and be relaxed. And I think sometimes just, I think a lot of stuff is just being, being one with self, you know, and it's and, definitely hard. I think. And being selfish. We played the ultimate team sport and we were, we had no boundaries like, Hey, you know, my time is the team's time. And you might have a varying account of how you went about like your business from mindset. But I was like, Hey, every autograph, not that I'm like a superstar, but every autograph, every fan that says hello, anything anybody needs, a favor, I'm, I'm a yes guy, right? This yeah. is kind of how I live my life. And in, in retirement and in finding yourself, I think you gotta be a little selfish and say like, all right, I'm gonna put up these boundaries, we're gonna sit here, I'm gonna take more time to myself. That might even mean that I need a little time away from my wife and kids sometimes. You know, I because ain't, it's, I, ain't, it, I ain't agreeing with that. I'm not agreeing. With yeah, because she might listen. She doesn't listen to my podcast, bro. <laughs> she uh, does. But, <laughs> but no, I'm saying like there are times where you have to secure your, uh, you know, when the the plane there's no oxygen in the plane and the mask falls down and they say put your oxygen mask on first. Like that's what we have to do as men, and I think sometimes we don't do that because we're providing for everybody else and saying yes, and that's kind of how we were trained. I think beyond just figuring yourself out there's a really therapeutic element to just sitting still that i never experienced until recently yeah that's this is i like that i like that idea of um sitting still too because even now when i wake up sometimes in the morning when you wake up before your kids are up and you just kind of your family's up like you take that time to read a book you take that time to turn on some candles like what are things because it's like when you're an athlete you go through all these things to prep yourself for playing I also think there should be, as an athlete retired, you should also take some time to prep yourself for, for a day. And I think sometimes, like, even prep yourself for a day doesn't mean, because sometimes I think, not to say that smoking weed is wrong, but I also think people use, we use weed in a way to cope with it, not in the sense of, like, 
Like, you know, I'm just getting high to pain. You know what I mean? Just like a real relaxing type of motivation. Just like preparing yourself for your day, whatever it is. Like sometimes I still take a salt bath in the morning. I get up and get a can of read, you know, do be at the moment, listen to the sounds. Just because I know that I need to prepare myself similar to how I prepare for games. I should be preparing for life like that in the morning when it's time to go. Because it's just like, that's the game of life is the most important game that we play. It's a really hard thing when you said it, somebody set our schedule for years, like we were ready to run through whatever wall somebody points in the direction of, whether we liked it or not. And now you have the freedom to say, I could do anything today. You know, I could do anything this week, I'd do anything this month, which is a thing that other people are not gonna feel bad for you about because we were, we're blessed enough to have the security to have choice, but choice mm -hmm. can be kind of overwhelming, especially when the, the quote unquote most important part of our lives professionally is over. So I think guys struggle with that freedom they struggle with the choice, they struggle with the fact that nothing they do is gonna be significant to people outside of their own home anymore, but that really doesn't fucking matter. And I think that's what you figure out is like, the people that cheered for you all those years, they don't even care, they're not thinking about you, so why are you thinking about what they expect of you? They're not thinking about, nobody's thought about Michael Bennett or Chris Long today. The only way they think about that is if we force it down their throats and do some content. But other than that, like most of our fans are not thinking about us day to day. And that's good. That's no, fine. That's, that's natural. That's fine. But I also think that's fine for people to think about us. I think for us to realize that the people that are in our immediate family, that's the only, that's the most important people that we can deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. It isn't how outwardly how people think that we are. It's the inwardly how we have, you know, how we have conversation or interactions, how we intervene with our family on a daily basis. I think that's the most important thing. I think that can't get lost. I think a lot of times we get to a place where Instagram and Twitter is so important. And it's like the perception of who we are is more powerful than the who we truly are. You know what I'm saying? The perception of that is, is way more powerful. Like if people perceive you to be this and that, they're going to fall in love with you. But in reality, you could be a fucking asshole or you could be a great person and people perceive you in a terrible way and you won't get any opportunities. So I just think, you know, loving your family and being close to them, I think that's what really matters. In life. And it's, for example, like the work you do with your foundation and the work that you just do in general, um, I think that's important because at the end of the day, you're helping people. I think we all have to find out what is what is our purpose. We all have the talent. And we have to figure out what that what that talent is and how we can use it for a purpose. I think often in life we get our talents uh, misconstrued with our purpose. We think that because we're fast and we jump, that that's our that's our talent, right? But in truly, that's not our talent. Really, that's somebody else's purpose. The people that own the NFL teams, there's their purpose to find people with talent to fulfill their purpose. You know what I mean? But it's our job to find out who we truly are and how we can make an impact on the planet. And everybody impact can be completely different. Your impact doesn't have to be, oh, I have 20 million people following me, all that stuff. Your impact could be just the people you interact with at the store, how you inspire them. Um, and that's what I think that's super important that I think we get misconstrued a lot. Like you running fast and you throwing a ball, that is not your talent. That is a skill that you have, but your talent has got to be something that, that can change your community, that can change your environment. I don't know how you figure that out. It takes time to figure that out. And also, I think sometimes when you look at some of the greatest people on the planet, like they don't do their greatest body of work till they turn 45, you know, like. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I always say that. Willie Nelson, one of my favorites, I think he was selling vacuum cleaners in his 30s, man. I mean, I, I don't think he hit it till his 40s. All these great inventors and stuff, look out how, how old they were before they found that they failed so many times. And I think that's hard for, you know, NFL players to see when they get out 
is that we did this amazing thing. What are the chances of us hitting it out of the park twice? Well, actually better than you think. You just have to be patient and realize that really like at this stage, it's more about finding peace. I think it's about finding that peace first and then going out and doing what you want to do. Because I think that's the hardest thing and that's what everybody wants is just finding some peace. And I think that's what I've realized over the last couple of years. It's like, it's it, the biggest, if life is a game, you referred to it as a game earlier, I think, I think winning that game is finding peace. It's that simple. It's like waking yeah, up and knowing who you are and finding peace in that process. Whatever your process is, whatever you're doing, it's, it's feeling that I don't need any, I don't need anything, but, but you know, myself and my family and, and I have that peace. And that's true too, bro. And it's like, I got to find peace without substance. I got to find peace that doesn't alter my reality. Yeah. You know, it's like, we got to get the metaverse. You got to get this. Like, no, I need to find peace with just me. Like, how can I just be comfortable with just me? Like I am enough. Like me, Michael Bennett is enough. Like, me, Michael Bennett, hi, is not, is not, you know, it's not the answer. Me, Michael Bennett, it's just me waking up and saying, I love me. You know what I'm yep. saying? And that's not no a question. bad thing. Yeah, that's what I think that's truly what we have to get to. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah, you're, you're enough. Yeah, no question. Do, do you, have you felt down or depressed at all after retirement? Because Vince Williams just retired talking about, Vince Williams, remember him, number 98 from the Steelers? He was just on Arthur Mode's podcast, and he was talking about how he went into deep depression. Just these stories happen all the time. Like, how's your mental? Like, how's your mental been? I think my mental has been pretty strong because I kind of, I just, I left the game. Uh, I left the game because I wanted to leave the game, not because I felt like I can't get a job or anything. I literally left the game because I was just like, oh man, all the people that I played with that made the game powerful and strong and all those things. Like the concept of the game, how it was played was changing. I was like, man, you know what? I just want to walk away and be with my family. So for me, I didn't really have no down moments as far as that. I think the, the hardest thing was to figure out what did I want to do with my life? Like I knew that, you know, there's something that, that I have to do. Where I got to figure that out. So I think the hardest part, not depressed, but the hardest part is searching and spending valuable time searching. I think that was bigger than that. I don't think I was really depressed about retirement because I'm like, I was undrafted. It was like everything I did, I was not supposed to do. I was not supposed to play as long as I did. Not I was supposed to make as many seconds as I did. I was supposed to make it to the Pro Bowls like I did. Yeah. Like just Super Bowls, defense, like money. Like I was not supposed to do any of that thing. I was supposed to be an undrafted player who maybe, you know, played on one team and then got left. And 12 years later, it's like I did that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. at the end of the day, it was like, I did everything I was supposed to do and more than I thought I would ever do. So I was not, I just felt like I fulfilled a lot of things, you know? I, do you worry, do you worry about, you know, you, you talked about head trauma and all that stuff. Like, does that enter into your kind of like 20, 30 year plan of how you see your life playing out? Do you think we're going to end up like some of these horror stories? No, I don't know if we're going to end up like any of those horror stories. I pray that we don't end up like any of those horror stories. But I think every player who plays in the NFL thinks about head trauma. Every player thinks about the NFL. And then it's the fear. It's scary to even think about, right? Because there's this this thing that you did, that you loved, and that, that but there's some devil in it. There's some there's some sin, you know, that comes with that, that the gift and the blessing that you got. You took some opportunities that you know that could be you know, scary. They could be, you know, you look at, will I be normal in my brain? I think that everybody player that says that if a player says he doesn't think that he's fucking lying. If you were out there hitting, doing things, you often think about things that you see other people experiencing, even though you may not think that's going to happen to you, but you know that somewhere down the line, deep down in your head, there's still this 1% and 2%, that's still a big chance of it happening to you. And I know that a lot of people are fearful of that. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? 
man, I feel like I have a healthy fear of it. Maybe it helps that I've seen my dad kind of like, I mean, he's in his 60s. He's really sharp. You've met my pops. Like, he's a fucking great guy. He's not erratic. He's the opposite of erratic. Having said that, God forbid, in five years from now, something could change. I mean, as it does with a lot of 65, 70-year-old guys. And I think this is what we get lost a little bit on sometimes is CTE is real. They've demonstrated that. You can see the buildup of tau protein in somebody's brain. It's scientifically observable. But I think we get out over our skis a little bit on predicting how it's going to go if you have CTE. I mean, that, that they can predict the behavioral outcomes of CTE. I bet you you and I have or will have CTE. But I don't think that necessarily. Don't you wish that on me, Ricky Bobby. But I don't think. But but. Don't you wish that on me, Ricky Bobby. Hey, Ricky Bobby, don't. Wish that on me, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I think we might be conflating a little bit of CTE and how it manifests. Like, I'm not saying you're going to lose your mind, but I'm saying maybe you have this this disease and it doesn't manifest in that terrible way. I think I don't think we know enough right now, and I think it can be dangerous sometimes. And it can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for guys who are sitting at home when they see all these guys dying early or, you know, maybe, you know, there's a Vincent Jackson situation or you think back to like Junior Seau or all the, what we do a lot of times as, as football players is we read the general public's reaction to all these stories and we assume that there was no other mitigating factor in this person's life, like substance abuse or you yeah, know true. or depression or or anxiety or something that predated them playing football. I know me, I suffer from anxiety. You know, I say suffer, but you know, I, I deal with anxiety, right? I've had I've dealt with anxiety my whole life. You know, like I you know, I, I could tell you that as a teenager I was anxious. You know, I could tell you as as a middle schooler I was anxious like because it got worse with the the you know, the strains of pro football or retirement at different points doesn't mean it was my brain. It could just be my mental health. And I think sometimes it's dangerous that by acknowledging something's real, we have to, we have to diagnose everything as well. That, that, that's what happened to that guy, or this is what's going to happen. When we don't hear about all the guys that die happy at 85, Tony Saragusa, his dad died at 47 of a massive heart attack. The autopsies, the report's not back, I don't think, but like people speculated that it might be heart disease or something. He's a huge dude, man. He was a big guy. Did that have anything to do with football? Not necessarily, but a lot of people jumped to conclusions. Not a lot, but I saw a few people tweeting like, I would not let my kid play football. But we don't even know, the dust hasn't settled. We don't know what happened yet. The next morning after Tony Saragusa died, there was this guy who played in a leather helmet. I saw him flash across my timeline. He died at 90 years old. The guy was doing a Heisman pose in a black and white picture. But of course, nobody aggregates that because it doesn't sell. It's not bad news. So my point is, if you're a player sitting at home, you can get caught up in the in this washing machine of, oh, fuck, this is what's going to happen to me. And you can get more anxious. All I'm saying is it's very real, but there's no reason to think that we're all going to die early. In fact, the average lifespan of NFL players, according to a 2012 study, says that we live longer than the general population, but that's because we live in a super unhealthy uh, country. If you compare it to- 2012 is a long time ago. Yeah, well, things could only get better. But if you think about it, Mike, like in 2012, there would be more people dying early because, you know, more guys are alive from that era where they absolutely just fucking, you know, the guys that played in the 60s and 70s, you can't even compare the- the trauma that went on in in their heads and in their bodies to guys that played in the 2010s. I think that's very true. 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not a sure thing that we're fucked. Because you have it doesn't mean that you're going to end up the same way that other people's end up. Is it possibly how many people are, are living with it right now and they don't know? And what's the what's the what is the what, what how how are they living? What's the quality of life that they're experiencing every day? Yeah, all I'm saying is it can be tough to watch the news. It can almost make your mental health worse because it feels like everybody's dying. But there's tens of thousands of guys that played in the NFL, inevitably some of them are gonna die from day to day, and you're gonna see it in the news. And some of them are gonna die early, just like most Americans. We live seven years, or eight years, we were just talking about this, eight years less average lifespan than like countries like Japan or Northern European countries, dude, in the United States. That's true too. I mean, I just came from Europe and I was looking at the quality of life or just how people are, how people are just uh, like the parks and people, how people are walking after they eat, just a different type of life. I think uh, that's one thing that I, uh, is what I think about often is like, how do you, what's the quality of life that you're experiencing? You know, like it isn't just about living, but are you living to die? Are you just living? You know what I mean? I think that's a whole nother conversation. And so I agree with you. I think there's a, a conversation that we got to have and maybe take some of the fear out of it to say that everybody's life is not going to end the same exact way. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of factors is all I'm saying. I mean, football is definitely going to kill me quicker than it would if I didn't play it, you know, but at the same time, I'm not going to predict an early, you know, fucked up death or anything like that. All right, real quick, Mike, you just mentioned you've been to Europe. This is the last thing I'm going to ask you, man. If if you had to move, say something terrible happened in this country, the, the country went into the shitter or already is in the shitter. Uh, and you had to move somewhere. You've traveled. You've lived in New Zealand, right? Mm-hmm. You've been in Europe. You've been in Africa. Where could Michael Bennett live if Michael Bennett had to move? I really don't want to give this information out because yeah, like, yeah. the government might track me. So I'll give him like one of my, my fifth favorite place. Yeah, give me number five. Um, where I probably... I like Venice. Venice, I like Venice. I don't know if it'd be a nice place to live, but I definitely like Venice, Italy. I think, um, or maybe uh, it could be underwater though soon. That's true. I choose Morocco. I love Morocco. <laughs> Morocco's a great place. It's food. It's the culture. Um, you know, you got a little bit of everything. You got great, great beaches. You got the desert. You got camels, monkeys. You got a little bit of craziness. You know, and then great cuisine. So. I'll, choose, I'll say Morocco. I think Morocco would be a great place to live. And I know you've spent time in New Zealand. I'm not saying this is number one, but do you think I would like living in New Zealand? First of all, I think you love living in New Zealand because you automatically fit in. You have the profile. You you have the, you have you have the skin to fit in. So I think that you'd be <laughs> great. There's a, I think you'll like it too because it's similar to Montana. It's a lot, a lot of outdoors, a lot of a lot of walking, a lot of biking, a lot of hiking, a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting. Just nature, you know. I know you love nature, so um, I think you really like it. I think you like Sweden too. I think Sweden is a great place too because it's just the same thing. It's a lot of nature. You could go around. There's parks. There's beautiful. Just everything's, um, you know, farm to table. It's like it's just a good place, and people are nice. I think the thing that makes a great country is when people are nice. Where are we going on Naked and Afraid? I remember we used to talk about going on Naked and Afraid because. Yeah, so naked and afraid. We have one problem. We just want to wear boxes. We'll do the whole project. <laughs> jock strap. I'll put a yeah, jock strap on, dude. <laughs> we do jock strap, naked and afraid. But we, we we can do anything. I don't know how far we make it, but I think we can make it because we both watch naked and afraid. But let's go on to the celebrity version of naked and afraid. But we got to wear boxers. 
and see if we can make it through. I think we can make it like my wife said she did. We'll make it like seven days. Oh, we definitely depending on the place. If our goal was only to, to go a week, I think we could go a week, you know, yeah. but like I was watching the last night. I just happened to be watching naked and afraid, dude. And I was watching the Amazon one. Yeah, I see. It's like an hour long and I'm like, damn, these people probably made it. No, there were like seven people in that fucking episode. The Amazon was just eating people alive. People were leaving after three days just because of bugs. I didn't see any snakes, nothing. It was just the mosquitoes had these people look like look, looking like cottage cheese, man. Just bumps all over them. So I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel kind of cocky, and then I start watching the show, and it's not like anything dangerous happened. It's just even the bugs will get you. Yes, the bug, and then like not being able to get food. You're like, dang, how do I like without the tools? Like, it's like I'm not driving to Whole Foods to catch it, get get some bacon. I gotta kill this bacon, slice it, good it, and then you know make it. And you gotta kill it, the bacon. Yeah, you gotta kill the bacon. <laughs> if you know, if we, if we go with that guy Matt, you know Matt, the, the main, the, the great hunter guy, we go sure. with Matt. I think we make it with Matt. You know, he, he's he. We do. We should get Matt on the podcast, and then we both would get on with Matt. We should, yo. We should do. We should have a pod. If you come on here, I'll get the foremost naked and afraid guy, and we can just. I want to get one of the producers on, honestly. So get the producer, and also get Matt. And there's another guy. There's Gary, but Gary would be a great partner. And then there's that one woman too with the red hair. She's really good too. So that's good. That narrows it down. So I'll get her name down. But Gary and Matt are definitely. I'll take Matt because Matt. He's out there shooting the antelopes. You know, I think we can make it with Matt for three okay. days. I mean, if we go with Matt, I think we'll make it 21 days, huh? Okay. Yeah, fuck it. 21 days it is. We're going to do next up. Next thing we do here is we're going to have... Uh, we can do it for charity, too. Every yes. day that we make it, we can, every day we make it, somebody can donate $5,000 to our charity. That, that would suck, though, if I chickened out and I was letting kids down and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you make it 10 days, you get $50,000. So okay. every day we make it. We make it. We could. We could donate to our charity. So like, that'd be Sounds a good like thing a to plan. do for our charity. Sounds All like right. a plan, bro. I'm in. So next up, we'll have we'll have Mike on with a, with somebody from Naked and Afraid. We need each other. All right, Michael Bennett, uh, Renaissance man, great friend. This has been a nice long FaceTime, bro. So we don't have to talk to each other for until next month. I'm